G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, we're asking some questions. From his series about saying yes, Pastor Jeff is asking us, what are we living for? Are you driven or distracted? We're in the first chapter of Nehemiah. So let's join Pastor Jeff now as we start this message. Good morning, everybody. You know, folks, I can't believe that we're here. Not just here in this room, but it's hard to believe. No no man could make this up. No man could do this. No church could really do this. It's only God who could accomplish what's happened in these last seven or eight years. The most important thing is, as God opens doors the way he has in these last couple of years, that we have the courage, the faith, and the trust to walk through them. And so I'm asking you, as we begin this journey together, to say, yes, I'm going to go on this journey. I want to start with some questions. Let me ask you something. What are you living for? Come on now. Not what you just say when people ask you. What, what's your life about? What's it really about? And if what you say it is about, and I followed you around everywhere, would your life give testimony to that? It was Socrates who said what? The unexamined life is not worth living. And it's easy to know that most Americans go through everyday life without ever examining origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Where did I come from? Where am I going? What am I doing? Now, you can tell that people live unexamined lives. Otherwise, there'd be no Raider fans. (laughs) If you examined your life, you would not be a Raider fan. You, You would never eat bok choy. Come on. You would, if you examine your life, life's too short to eat bad vegetables. Uh, you would never live in Seattle. Why would you live in a place where it rains like 282 days a year? That's the unexamined life. And Starbucks would not exist. Life is too short for bad coffee. But 
It's not just the negatives, it's the positive. If you examine your life, you would be eating Haagen-Dazs ice cream, double chocolate every day. Life's too short for bad ice cream. Everyone would attend church because now we know that attending church improves your lifespan. If you really examine your life, almost everybody would golf. It's obviously God's game. (laughs) Almost every pastor plays it. And I've done my homework on this now. Paul advised the young preacher Timothy to do three things, to box, to golf, and to stay strong in the Lord. Let me read the text for you. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, boxing. I have finished the course, golf, and I have kept the faith. There you are. Actually, what Socrates meant, he's claiming that the only way ultimately to find meaning in your life is to know and understand yourself. And the only way you're going to ever know and understand yourself, you've got to ask, where did I come from and where am I going? Where am I headed? What is life ultimately about? That's why Søren Kierkegaard, the famous Danish philosopher, said, I have learned to define life backwards. First determine the goal and then live life accordingly. So what is the goal of your life? Where did you come from? And where are you going? And are you living in between in such a way that echoes those two truths? Now, remember, we're the rich ones, right? We're, we're, We're in an affluent society. Most people in the world would love to have a home the size of your garage. You're... Your little house for your little car is bigger than two-thirds of the rest of the world. They would love to have that. We're the wealthy ones. And Jesus goes to great lengths to say, you got to be careful if you're living in an affluent generation because if you're not careful, the cares of the world and all your busyness will choke salvation out from under you. He's talking to you and me. In Luke's gospel, he says, there's a man, and Jesus actually calls him a fool, and he says, this guy stores up, stockpiles, things in the here and now. But someone said, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. (laughs) Jesus said, you better watch it. In Luke 16, he says, there's a guy who pulled out of his palatial home every day without any regard for those who are in poverty, both spiritual and physical. So now we come to this book of Nehemiah, which is a great book for you to examine your life. And it should be a catalytic force in you asking some questions. So Nehemiah looks at his life. And he starts examining it, and then he prays to God. And in Nehemiah 1, verse 5, this is what he says, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, the one he's praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins. Now notice what he does. He's not blaming the people, he's blaming himself. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Now, in what way specifically had Nehemiah and his people acted wickedly? And as I show you this in just an Old Testament survey, I want you to ask yourself the question, where do you fit in this? Are we like the people of Nehemiah's day? Absolutely They had done four things. Number one, they had dishonored the house of God. It was no longer a priority to them. They only went to God when they needed something. But they weren't passionate about worshiping God and thanking God. It was no longer a priority. It's just what they did if they had nothing else to do. 
They committed sacrilege by giving God the leftovers rather than the fat portions described in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. They put their hope and trust in foreign gods, their trust, their hope, their security. Before they had trusted God for their family, for the expansion of their land, but now it was all about primogeniture, the firstborn, and somehow revoking some kind of blessing on the basis of firstborn. And then the expansion of land, the acquisition of land, those things were more important now. Temporal things. And they were turning their back on the eternal. And as a result, they had become sexually impure. They were violating the laws designed to protect the sanctity, purity, and equality of women. And they turned their back on God, dishonoring his house, dishonoring him, dishonoring his people, and dishonoring his precepts. And the Bible says that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound like us at all? And if you're honest, you got to say, wow, was that written for us? And what did God do as a result? He sent in the Assyrians and the Babylonians to take the people of God captive. That's what God does. Okay, if you don't want to live the way I've asked you to live, then I'm going to allow you to live in a foreign land. Hopefully, you'll see how bad that really is. You'll understand my way is the best way. You'll repent and come back. It's the heart of a loving father. And so they go into captivity for 70 years from 605 BC to, 6, uh, to 586 BC. They come in this Syrians and they sack Jerusalem. They destroy the city, the city of God, the city of God's people. And the people of God are dispersed. Their city's destroyed, their future dimmed. So Nehemiah in this first chapter <laughs> reminds God, I love this. How would you like to, hey God, remember you said as if God forgot. And I love how God puts up with it in his grace and mercy. Go ahead, talk to me. Tell me what you feel. And Nehemiah says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses? Well, of course God remembers. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I'll gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Nehemiah says, God, that contract you gave Moses contained two parts, dishonor and dispersion, yes, but it also said, if we honor you and repent and turn our hearts toward home, that you would regather us from the farthest places of planet earth of this universe and use us for greatness. Now, here's the thing. Nehemiah, he had a cushion job, man. When all this is happening, he's living in the palace. He's eating the palace food, drinking the palace wine. He's hanging out with the king and enjoying the security of palace life. He was the cupbearer to the king while his people are dispersed, being enslaved by foreign power, suffering as second-class citizens. Nehemiah could have lived out his days in splendor. He could have just mind his own business, live it up in the palace, but he didn't. Now, does that remind you of anybody? Remember how we've spoken about the Old Testament narrative after narrative is the redemptive ark. So every time you meet a Moses or a Joshua or a Jonah, you're meeting what? A pre-Christ, somebody that is a lot like Jesus. The whole Bible points to this narrative of the Messiah. And Jesus was in the ultimate palace, hanging out with the ultimate king. And he left his place in heaven 
and put himself in clear and present danger in order to save his people. Jesus is the ultimate Nehemiah, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life to make you and me citizens of the great city whose description is like this in Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What a great city that'll be, right? Right? What a great city that'll be. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. But the problem is we are called now, right now in this place, in this community to build the city of God here. But before you and I could do that, Nehemiah had to rebuild the original city of God, Jerusalem. Why? Why is it so important that he succeed? Because the Messiah is going to come through the Davidic line. If Israel's dispersed, if they're made extinct, if they disappear, then there's no Davidic line for the Messiah to come through. So what Nehemiah is doing is giving all of us a hope and a future. It's important that he's successful. And so God calls him and he's going to lead his people back to Jerusalem. He's going to rebuild the city of God that the pagans have destroyed. And ultimately he's going to save you and me. Now, do you understand? I asked you earlier, what is the goal of your life? Do you understand this is the call of God on your life? This is what God calls you to do. You came from God. Your destiny is you're going to return to God. And when you stand before God, he's going to say what? Two, one of two things, depart from me. We didn't know each other. Or the second thing, come on in. Enter into your rest. Why would you be, why would you need rest? Because you're tired. You spent your life building the city of God. That's the call. God does not place his spirit in you and me for sheer pleasure. But in 1 Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. So that's your job. Now, you and I cannot build the city of God everywhere, but we can build it here, the place, the corridor where God has called us. But the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we recognize what Nehemiah recognized. Now, listen to me carefully. Many of you get so caught up in what is going on in politics and what is going on in the economy And there's a part of you as a Christ follower that loves your country, I understand. But you can't let that distract you from the ultimate city, your ultimate citizenship, your ultimate goal. And you think, we think the problem is out there in the world. Those bad people are making it tough. But Nehemiah, he doesn't pray for those bad people. He says the problem isn't out there, the problem's in here. That's where the problem is. They're the ones dishonoring the house where it's no longer a priority. They're the ones distracted by affluence. They're the ones who are committing sacrilege by giving God the leftovers so the city of God is not being built. They're the ones worshiping foreign gods, trusting in other things, sacrificing on behalf of something else, obeying something that promises something that can never deliver. Nehemiah doesn't pray for the outside. He says, I'm praying God for the people on the inside. We must examine our lives. We too have been dispersed. We're all over the place with our motives and our objectives and our goals. Often we worship other gods, money, power, possession, and have forgotten the ultimate call of God on our lives to build the city of God, to transform the city of man into the city of God. But Nehemiah knows he's gonna need a little divine intervention. So he cries out in verse 10. 
They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Who's the man? The king of a foreign power. Artaxerxes, the king. Nehemiah says to God, God, I want to build the city, but man, we're an enslaved people. I'm just the cupbearer of the king. And if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to have the king's permission or they're going to kill me even on the way to view the walls. Now, why on earth would a king, why would a king of a foreign land give permission to someone whose land he's occupying to go and rebuild a city that would then be able to create defense forces to overthrow the king. <laughs> Why would you do that? Nehemiah knows if he doesn't have divine intervention, nothing good can happen. Now, let me tell you a little story. Did you know this church used to be about 500 plus people in West Covina called the West Covina Church of Christ? About 500 adults had a vision. They sacrificed so much, so much because of what they believed would happen one day. And when they were at the height of their growth in that building, Ron Keller heard about a piece of property in San Dimas, the one you're sitting on. It was for sale. It was owned by Calvary Chapel because they had tried to build something on it and were convinced the council would have never allowed them to build a church here. And so they sold it. Dane Johnson got in his truck and he drove around this campus one time for six days. And on the seventh day, he drove around seven times, rolled down his window, and honked the horn. Does that remind you of anything? And the walls fell, and the council said, yes, you can build a church on this property. Without divine intervention, Nehemiah knows that you don't go to the king when you're uninvited, or they kill you. And if you do get an audience with the king, you don't go with an all sad face. Because the king has enough problems of his own. So one, if you make it into the presence of the king without being killed, you don't go complaining or asking for any favors. After all, you're just the cupbearer. Now let me go back and ask this question again. Why would the king help him? You could say, well, God's going to intervene on the other side. We know God does that. We have a few sayings around here. When God calls, he equips. But my favorite one, with the supernatural call of God comes the supernatural wisdom and power of God to complete the task. That is true. There's probably something you, most of you don't know. Artaxerxes, the king. Do you know who his stepmother is? Esther. Hmm. Do you remember Esther? She lived in a time when the Israelites were in danger of extermination, Hebrew genocide. And she was in the palace. She had a place in the palace as the queen. And she didn't want to go talk to the king. Why? Because you don't go into the presence of the king unless you're invited. And Uncle Mordecai sent her a note. Said, Esther, girl, you get yourself in there. If you don't go talk to that king, God will do another way. He'll provide another way to save us. But don't think that you'll be rescued. You'll die like the rest of us. And then that famous line in Esther chapter four, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther knew that she had to have courage to stand before the king. She now knows it's Nehemiah's time for bravery. But I wonder if she was working the room a little bit with her stepson, Artaxerxes. What I'm saying to you is this. 
West Covina Church of Christ is the Esther of yesteryear. You and I are the Nehemiah part of the vision God has given. Now we have been called to finish the task and build the city of God. But in, in, in some ways, we're each doing our own thing. We're too divided. We got to come together. One of our core values is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We can accomplish significantly more together than we ever could apart. And Nehemiah knows two things with certainty. Number one, God is calling him to rebuild the city of God. Number two, he cannot do it alone. I wish I could come out there right now and sit beside each one of you. Just sit down and talk to you for like 30 minutes about you and your life. There's not enough time to do that, but if I could, let's just pretend that I'm beside you right now. I would look you in the eye, especially you guys. I'd look you man to man and I would ask you a simple question. What are you living your life for? What is your ultimate pursuit really? What keeps you awake at night? What wounds your heart? What brings you the greatest joy? And the things that you say bring you the greatest amount of joy. The thing that you're most passionate about. Is there any level of sacrifice in your life for what you say matters most? Where are you in all of this? You know, there's a bicycle race in India. And the, the, uh, the purpose of the race is to finish last. If you finish last, you win. It's only 20 meters. So think about that. What is that? 60 yards. Only 60 yards. You balance on the bike without moving. If you put your foot down to catch your balance, you're out. So you've got to try to go a short amount of distance in the slowest amount of time while balancing the bike and it only moves just a little. Now imagine some Belgian racer who's visiting India and he pulls beside this park and he sees this race and he says to himself, what do these Indians know about bike racing? He pulls out his you know, $5,000 bike out of the trunk, gets on the starting line, the gun goes off, sprints to the end, thinking that he's won, but he's actually finished last. Why? Because he didn't know the goal. What is the goal of your life? I've learned to define life backwards. First determine the goal and then live life accordingly. When you stand before Christ and give an account for the life that you've lived, did you know the goal? What is the goal of your life? The scripture is clear. To be saved by the mercy and grace of God, to be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then to spend your life building the city of God so that people may praise the name of God because of your good works. Now, as we begin the journey, I have two easy questions, and that's it for today. And it, the length will be in comparison to your attention span. Okay? Number one, why are you here? Not, not here, here. Who's responsible for the origin of your life? You didn't do anything in eternity past to earn the privilege of being born. Your whole life is a gift from God. But folks, there's only two worldviews when it comes to this. Either you believe that your life is a gift from God or you think you're here by accident. If you're here by accident and that's what you believe, you're really wasting your time in church. <laughs> Unless you're here to discover you're on a journey of learning. But if that's you, if you've made up your mind that this whole thing's an accident, what are you doing here? But if you believe that origin 
you came from God, then that tells me that everything, not only your life, but everything about you is a gift from God. Everything. As you go down to the southern tip of Cape Town, South Africa, you can stand at this point, Mount Table, and as you look down, two oceans come together and meet. Some of the roughest waters in the world. And the first time you go out and you stand there, it's, you can't really define it or explain it on a Google image, but you stand there and you feel the wind and you see the oceans. It's so majestic that there's something that overwhelms you. And the question that comes to almost everybody's mind is, wow, who do I thank for this? You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. He's claiming that the only way ultimately to find meaning in your life is to know and understand yourself. And the only way you're going to ever know and understand yourself, you've got to ask, where did I come from and where am I going? Where am I headed? What is life ultimately about? So what is the goal of your life? Where did you come from? And where are you going? You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me wanna dance and sing With every single breath I breathe I will break this offering You are my wonder You bring the wonder Today 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 with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.